You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. You know, in the midst of all the tragedy that's been going on this week, I had an incredible opportunity, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, really, along with Andrea yesterday. Uh, we went to uh, Wheaton, Illinois, there on the campus of uh, Wheaton College, and uh, Andrea and I got to be a part of participating, not participating in, but observing um, the closest thing to a royal wedding I will ever be a part of, and uh, that was the wedding of Nancy Lee DeMoss and Robert Wolgamuth. In case you don't know Nancy, Nancy is a 54-year-old woman who's never been married, and um, yesterday uh, she was to Robert, and um, Nancy's been a friend for a long time. I met Nancy 22 years ago, and the first time I met her, I was actually being interviewed for a position at Life Action Ministries. I was a 26-year-old single youth pastor in Arkansas who was being recruited to Life Action to go on the road and be a youth revivalist. And Nancy sat along with uh, four or five others and just interviewed me, and I'll never forget her question to me. She began to inter- uh, interview me um, and ask me my motives for joining Life Action. Because apparently the motives of a 26-year-old young man joining a ministry with 20 to 26-year-old single young ladies needs to be questioned about his motives. And so I was trying to explain to her that this was simply something I sensed that God was calling me to do, but she continued to ask me, are you sure you're not just chasing a wife? So yesterday, I sent Nancy an email. I said, hey, Nancy, before you actually say I do, I just want to ask, are you sure you have the right motive? Are you, are you sure you're not just chasing a husband? Now, we had some fun along with that, but how many of you in, have, are in a relationship, either married or maybe you're in a relationship? How many of you were the chase E in the relationship? You were the one being chased. How many of you were the chase or? And you would admit it. Okay. Well, what we're going to study over the next seven weeks is a story of a chaseor and a chasee. And in order to do that, we're going to have to find the book of Jonah. Jonah is a hard book to find. That's why I ask you to open to the table of contents. This is a picture of what the table of contents looks like in my Bible. We're in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is broken into different genres. The first five books of the Old Testament, you know those as the law or the Torah that goes into history. We have Joshua and Judges and Kings and Chronicles and all those books there. And then we have some, some books of wisdom, the Psalms and the Proverbs and Job. And, and then we have some major prophets, you know those of as Isaiah and and Jeremiah. And then we have some of the most obscure books in the Bible with some really strange names like Obadiah and Nahum and Habakkuk. And yet in the middle of those 12 minor prophets, there is one prophet that's probably the most famous prophet and his name is Jonah. And everybody knows the story of Jonah, right? I mean, we've learned this from vacation Bible school. There was this prophet. God told him to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, and so he went down to Joppa, and he caught a boat. He got caught up in the middle of a storm. They threw him overboard. Uh, He was swallowed by a whale. The whale regurgitated him back up on the sea. He decided, I think it's time to obey God. So he goes to Nineveh, preaches the gospel, and Nineveh repents, and then Jonah has a pity party. And that's the way it ends. 48 verses in the Bible. 
we're going to study those 48 verses over the next seven weeks. And how many weeks are there left in 2015? Uh, seven. That means we're going to have Christmas with Jonah, okay? So is that all right with you? And so we're going to dive into this book. Let me just give you a little detail. Now, on, in my Bible, um, Jonah, the Bible that I'm using here, is, is on page 1256. On the count of three, I want you to tell me what page Jonah is in your Bible. One, two, three. Some of you are using a Bible app, and you did not get to participate in that little exercise. The reason I did that is because I want you to know where this falls in the Bible. We don't just have little sections of the Bible that are disconnected from other parts of the Bible. We're in a very important part of the Bible. So I want you to find Jonah chapter 1. Flip over now to Jonah chapter 1. And let me just tell you a little bit about Jonah. Jonah is one of 12 what we call minor prophets. Minor not in the sense that they are insignificant, but minor in the sense that they are a little shorter than the major prophets or the longer prophets. And Jonah is not necessarily a book by a prophet, even though Jonah may have written, we don't really know who the author was, but more significant, it is a book about a prophet. And so we're going to understand this. Now, because of all the, the fantastic, miraculous things that happen in the book of Jonah, like a whale swallowing a man, can you believe that? Can you believe that? I don't know about you, I believe the Bible, all right? And if the Bible said that a man swallowed a whale, I would believe that too. Because I believe God wrote a book, okay? So we believe this is a, a historical narrative of something that actually happened about a real man. One of the reasons we know that is because of the specific times, places, numbers, population. And Jonah was a real prophet. Now, if a story is fiction, it sounds more like this. Long, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away right? That's fiction. We don't see things like that in the Bible. We see specific times and places and people and all those different things. So we believe this actually happened. And can I just tell you what the theme of these 48 verses is? It's simply this. Grace chases a fugitive from God. And that is not only the theme of the book of Jonah. That is the theme of your entire Bible. In these 48 verses, we see encapsulated the one story that goes from Genesis to Revelation. Because God is the chaser and sinners like me and you are the chase E. And we're going to find out that God loves us so much that even our disobedience is not enough to turn him away. Grace chases the fugitive from God. The whole story of Jonah and the whole story of the Bible is simply this. Sin is defined as running away from God. Now, according to that definition, how many of you at some time in your life have sinned? Okay? If you're not raising your hand right now, you just did. Okay? You just sinned. Sin is running away from God. We're going to find out that Jonah ran away from God. And what is grace? Grace is when God chases a sinner who is bent on self-destructive behavior. And God gets in the middle of it and calls him back. So I just gave you the major themes there. We're going to see three different scenes in the book of Jonah. And the first is simply this, when God calls you out. So if you're ready to read the first verse of the first chapter of Jonah, say, I'm ready. 
Verse 1 of Jonah, chapter 1, says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Notice here it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Do you know anything about God? Do you have any knowledge of God? Maybe you don't feel like you know a whole lot about God. Maybe you feel like I know just a little bit. Do you know that everything we know about God is because God has intentionally and graciously chosen to disclose part of himself to us? God is not discovered. God has chosen to reveal himself. And he has revealed himself by speaking. And that's how he revealed himself and his plan to Jonah. The word of the Lord, God spoke to Jonah. And I believe he's still in the process of doing that. And you might wonder, well, I wonder what it was like. What did, it, what, did he have a dream? Did he get a letter? Um, did somebody tell him something? We, we really don't know. It was kind of a mystery to us. We really don't know exactly the way God spoke to Jonah or the way the word of the Lord came to Jonah, but we do know how the word of the Lord comes to us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says this, Long ago in a galaxy far... No, that's another story. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the what? Prophets. What was Jonah? A prophet. Do you know what a prophet's job is? A prophet only has one job. You only had one job, right? The job of the prophet is to get the message right and get the message out. You don't have to be creative or clever you don't have to invent a different way to do it. Just get the message right and get the message out. God speaks to the prophets. God speaks and the prophet speaks to the people. So long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's why we saw in the table of contents those major prophets and the minor prophets. They were speaking on behalf of God. But notice it says something's changed. But in these last days... He, God, has spoken to us by His Son. A far superior prophet now speaks. And so God has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. God has revealed who He is in the person of Jesus Christ. And how do we know Jesus Christ? He was only on the planet 33 years. And so now that He's gone, how do we know anything about Jesus? Not only has God spoken by the living word of God, his son, but God has now spoken and is still speaking right here, right now in this service because we have opened the written word of God. And God now speaks to us by his perfect word, the, the self-disclosure of God. The word of the Lord has come to us this morning. The question is this, are you listening? Are you listening? Did, did you just come to hear some songs and pray some prayers and throw some money in the offering, occupy your kids for a little while? Or are you here to hear the word of the Lord? 
And so we have in our hands this morning the written word of God. The word of God is coming to us. And so it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So let's talk about Jonah. Who was this prophet named Jonah? What we're going to discover is that this was not the first time the word of the Lord had come to the prophet Jonah. As a matter of fact, back in 2 Kings chapter 14, 25, we read this. The king, at that time his name was Jeroboam, Jeroboam restored the border of Israel according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah. Who? The son of Amittai. You know, the, guy, the prophet. So the first time we read about Jonah is not in the book bearing his name. It's way back in 2 Kings chapter 14. And do you know what Jonah prophesied, what God told Jonah to tell the king? He told him to secure the southern border of Israel. Donald Trump would have been a big fan of Jonah, okay? Secure the borders, okay? We got way too much illegal immigration going on here in the nation of Israel. We are open to threats and terrorists like the Ninevites. And so he said, secure the border. And the king acted on what the prophet said. And you know what that did? That made Jonah a national hero. God spoke. All the children knew about Jonah and like a sports hero, man. This is the prophet, and God told him to tell the king, and the king did it. And you know what he did? He, he restored the border, and it made for a more secure Israel during a time when Israel was really in some disobedience. Jeroboam was actually a wicked king, but God used Jonah to speak a message that actually protected Israel's borders. Now, you know what's interesting about this? That was a very positive message. As a prophet, I like to speak positive messages. I like to tell you about the good news of Jesus. But there's another side that sometimes God has to use a prophet to deliver a message that, that is a message of, of warning and judgment. And so Jonah's first prophecy was very positive and made him a national hero the next prophecy, the one that we're reading about now in, his, in this book, is one that it was not, did not make him a national hero. As a matter of fact, it made him sound like an enemy. The first prophecy had to do with protecting the borders of Israel. The second prophecy, the one that we just read, or about to read, had to do with Jonah crossing the borders of Israel and going beyond the borders of Israel to a place called Ninevite. The first prophecy, Jonah announced protection from a terrorist invasion by Nineveh. The second prophecy had to do with announcing planning a gospel invasion of the terrorist nation Nineveh. The first prophecy had to do with keeping the enemy out. The second prophecy had to do with sending a missionary in. The first prophecy had to do with the salvation of God's people. The second prophecy had to do with the salvation of God's enemies. And so the first prophecy made him a national hero. 
The second prophecy made him sound like a traitor with a death sentence on his head. It made him sound like a psycho. And Jonah wasn't real excited about giving up his popularity. And so you know what he did? He decided to go in the other direction. Look at verse 2. Here was what God said to him. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh was basically the capital militaristic city of the nation or the, the empire of Assyria. And the Assyrians were the sworn enemies of God's people and the sworn enemies of God. That capital city of Nineveh had a population of over 120,000 people. And it was located about 500 miles east of Israel. And it was about 200 miles north of Baghdad. Do you know what is in modern-day Nineveh? It's the modern-day city of Mosul. Do you know who controls modern-day Mosul in Iraq? A little group you may have heard about, ISIS. Enemies. People who worship a false god and are motivated, I believe, by demonic spirits and are committed to the destruction of God's people. My how things have not changed. And my how relevant God's word still is. And so, God tells him, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, what would you expect the, the Bible to say next? Wouldn't you expect it to say, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. That's not what it says. Look at what it says he's supposed to do. He says, you're supposed to call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. The word evil is used nine times in Jonah. And it can be translated evil, it can be translated disaster or discomfort. Here was the thing. Nineveh was an evil place causing discomfort and it was headed for disaster. But here's the gracious heart of God. God's heart was to overcome the evil of Nineveh with his good message, bringing comfort and preventing the disaster that God had planned for them. Does that sound like a hard thing? Let me ask you this. Have what you've seen on the news this week made you think America is beyond hope? That this world is beyond the hope of revival? Has the evil come up so far like a rising tide that's about to overwhelm us and flood us like a tsunami? Have you lost hope because of the evil that you have seen? Are you so convinced that the evil is so bad that even God couldn't turn it around? Jonah gives us the hope that no matter how evil, no matter how wicked, no matter how far from God a people or a nation are, all God needs to turn it around is an obedient prophet with the good message of God's grace that God 
chases fugitives from God. And so there's hope. In the midst of all the wickedness, in the midst of all the evil, in the midst of all the sin we see in our world, the hope of the world still lies in the power of God. God still has compassion on the most evil and the most wicked enemies of him. And so God calls him to go. God calls him out. And he gives him the message, you are to call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Let me ask you this. Are you called? There are some callings that God has for all of us. Listen, if you're not a Christian, if you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, God's calling you out this morning to believe and to receive this gospel message. That no matter how far from God you are, God has a message of grace for the worst of sinners. If you've never responded to the call, don't do what Jonah did. Don't delay. Don't go in the other direction. Arise and come to the Lord. That's the message of the gospel this morning. We hold it out to you every week. But if you are a Christian, if there's been a time and a place when you've heard the call of God, the word of the Lord came to you and you heard this good message of the cross of Jesus Christ and how he saves sinners and he became your substitute on that cross... The calling doesn't stop there. The calling continues because every Christian is called to fulfill the great commission. What's the message here? In two words, he says, arise, go. Does that sound like a familiar message in the New Testament? What's the great commission we find in Matthew 28, verse 18? What is the mission statement of Harvest Bible Chapel? It is simply this, that we would go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded, we are to go. And as we go, we're to deliver this good message. And so every Christian is called. But beyond that, I would say this. You need to ask yourself the question, is God calling me in a specific way to a specific role of leadership and to Train others and lead others. You hear all the time us talk about our need for small group leaders and people to train and, 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 and people to, to take different roles of responsibility. And some of you sit back and you let other people do things that God wants you to do. And you're reading the story of Jonah and say, well, Jonah was a knucklehead. Well, maybe you're the knucklehead. Is God calling you to do something that you have said, no, I, I, th I, don't, I don't think we, we've got, mm, we got other things to do. We can't accept that. And not only does God call some people, God calls a few people to full-time vocational ministry, to give their lives 24-7 to the ministry of the gospel. There are people that ask me, all the time in our church, hey, you know, I think God may be calling me. How would I know that God is calling me? There's a, there's a little book by Dave Harvey that, that, that I read this week. It's just a great book. And, and he's got seven questions, six questions in there. If you think you might be called to full-time ministry, he asks you this. Well, are you godly? Uh, that, that'd be a good thing because God uses godly people in full-time ministry. Um, how's your home? Are you leading your family? Are you discipling your children? If, if you're getting it done there, maybe God's got a broader work 
for you to do. You can't skip over your wife, skip over your husband, skip over your children, and try to reach the world for Christ, right? Once you start at home. Here's another question. Can you preach? Preaching is kind of like dancing. People say, can Christians dance? Some can, some can't, you know? It's like... Can you preach? Well, some people can, some people can't. So that's a good question. You're going to be delivering the message. You might, you know, have to overcome some fear of public speaking. That, that's important. Um, do you shepherd? That means not only what you do up on a platform, but what do you do down in the nitty-gritty? And are you a shepherd? Do you smell like sheep? Are you willing to get in and untie the knots of people that have some messed up lives? Do you love the lost? Do you love people that are actually the enemies of God, and here's probably the best question, does anybody agree that you're called? I mean, you think you've got that, but is it confirmed by any level of leadership that people would say, yeah, we see that gifting, we see that calling in you? So God calls sinners to be saved. God calls some Christians, God calls all Christians to be involved in the Great Commission, God calls some people to take roles of leadership in the church, and God calls a few Christians to full-time Christian ministry. I remember I got saved when I was 15 years old, heard the word of the Lord came to me, I heard the gospel, I received Christ, and then I just fell in love with the church, and I just wanted to be at the church, around church people, around the youth pastor. I just, this is the greatest place, and so I made up excuses to go to church. It's like I just... I just swing by and see what the youth pastor's doing. Maybe I'll get in a conversation with him. Um, there were some openings in our church, ministry openings. There were ministry positions available. You know what that is called? That's called a janitor, okay? So my first job in the church was cleaning the church toilets, okay? And then I got an upgrade. I became the activities assistant, which means I handed out skates. This is back in the 80s, so we had skating in church. And uh, handed out skates and got the smelly skates back and spray the disinfectant in there. And, and that was my first job. And then I, be, I started working with some sports teams in our church. I was a scorekeeper for the basketball team. And we, I was the referee for the volleyball league and, 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 and did all of that just because I just loved to be at church. And, and then I, I was asked to teach a seventh grade boys Sunday school class, okay? You are not qualified to be in ministry until you have taught a seventh grade boys Sunday school class, all right? That was the first opportunity to open the Word of God and try to communicate something to people that their brains were falling out, right, as I was trying to teach this, you know, like, put that back in there, you know, you're going to need that someday. And so, and then God began to open up their doors, and, and I decided, I think I need some training. And so I, I, I went to, to seminary, and, and, and I came out of seminary, and I sat around for a year because nobody wanted a single youth minister, you know? Like, that's dangerous. And um, no, it's not. Not if you got a godly youth minister, right? So, so I became a youth pastor in northeast Arkansas, and then I joined Life Action Ministries and was a re itinerant revivalist for 15 years, and then God had a different call. I want you to plant a church in Granger, Indiana. Granger? Yeah, Granger, okay. How about Nineveh? No, Granger, okay. That's where we're going to plant this church. And so here we are today. Are you called? James McDonald says this. He says, God doesn't need full-time. He says, God is not calling you full-time until he needs full-time what you're already doing part-time. So many people want to bypass the, uh, the toilet cleaning and get to the pulpit, right? The avenue 
to the pulpit is through the toilet. <laughs> Profound wisdom in church this morning, okay? That's just been my life experience, okay? If you're not willing to bust the toilet, you're probably not going to make it to any higher level of ministry. Here's the second scene we see in the book of Jonah. It's this, not only when God calls you out, but when you run away. So that's what we see in verse 3. Look at it here. It says, but Jonah rose. This is, again, like, what would you expect it to, but Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, but that's not what it says. So we go on a detour. We go on a 26-verse detour. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Why did he flee? Where did he go? where's Joppa anyway? Well, Joppa was on the coast. It was a maritime city, and there were always ships leaving from Joppa to sail across the Mediterranean Sea, and there were shipping channels and routes and all those different things. So Jonah knew he could get away, thought he could get away, if he could just get to Joppa and get on a boat going to Tarshish. So where is Tarshish? You got your Bible maps? I mean, you could open your Bible maps in the back. Like, let me see if I can find Tarshish. You won't find it in there because we really don't know where Tarshish was. It's kind of an ancient city. It must have been lost to antiquity. All we know is this. It was west in the opposite direction of where Nineveh was to the east. And so the question is not so much about where is Tarshish? The better question is this, what is Tarshish? And what is your Tarshish? I would offer these five things to you. First of all, Tarshish is a place in the opposite direction of God. Nineveh was east. Tarshish was west. Nineveh was up. Tarshish was down. That's what we see. You see, Jonah just simply couldn't trust that God knew what was best. And so he came up with a detour. He came up with an alternate plan and says, no, I, I think I, maybe I could go over to Tarshish. Tarshish was a place where God was not known. It was a place where there would be no reminder of the calling that God had on his life. Listen, no matter how long you have followed God going in the right direction, do you know that your next step could take you on a journey far from God? That's a message for every one of us. You may say, I've been following God and I've been doing what he wants me to do and I've been obedient. But it would only take one step in the opposite direction for you to go on a journey very far from God. And that's what we're going to find out that Jonah did. Tarshish is not only a place in the opposite direction of God. Tarshish is a place where a ship is always going. If you want to get away from God, the devil will make sure there is an Uber driver there to take you. <laughs> a lot of different vehicles going in the opposite direction of God. You say, what kind of vehicles? Well, sometimes it's as simple as an excuse, right? Like, I don't have enough money to obey God. I don't have enough courage to obey God. 
If you knew the kind of home I grew up in, you'd realize I can't do what God wants me to do. I can't do that because what would people think? And all of those are vehicles to take you away from the obedience that God is calling you to. Sometimes it's more tangible things. Sometimes it's actually taking a trip on drugs or alcohol. Sometimes it's a relationship. The love boat has taken many people on a journey away from God. And in order for you to obey God and get to the place God's called you, it may mean that you need to cut off the relationship. Well, I can't do that. I love this person. Do you love God more than you love that person? And so God is holding out a vehicle in one direction. The devil's going to hold out a vehicle in the other direction. Here's the third thing. Tarshish is a place where the cost of living is high. Notice what it says. He went down to Tarshish. He found a ship that was going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. Do you see it? His disobedience actually cost him money. He would rather expend money than obey God. And the classic sermon that you've probably all heard is still true today. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And you know what? Obeying God sometimes is a high cost. There's a high cost sometimes to obeying God, but it's never as high as disobeying God. And Jonah's going to find out that the fare that he initially paid to flee the presence of the Lord was going to cost him a lot more than he actually paid when he bought the ticket on the boat. We're going to see that. Here's the fourth thing. Sin is a place where God can still find you. I don't know what Jonah was thinking, that somehow God can't see what's going on in Tarshish. That somehow that Tarshish is off limits to God and God doesn't occupy space there. But no matter how far from God you flee, God will chase you there. We know that from Psalm 139. He says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? This is speaking of what theologians call the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere present at the exact same moment. And God is just as real for you in church as he is at your home and maybe out on that bar on Friday and Saturday night. God is there. He sees what you're doing. He knows what you're thinking. He hears what you're saying. Where shall I flee from your presence? And then he offers some suggestions. If I flee, if I ascend to heaven, is God there? Yeah, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, are you there? Yeah, you're there too. This is good theology. He goes on, if I take the wings of the morning, maybe if I get up really early before like God wakes up, you know, maybe, maybe God can't find me there. No, he's there too. He's in the morning. What if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea? I'm just going on a cave diving expedition. No, he's down there too. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand uphold me. God has a grip on you and won't let go. 
no matter how far you think you are fleeing from the presence of God, He's there. And He's chasing you even when you run away. Here's the fifth thing about Tarshish. Tarshish is a place you should leave right now. I am looking into the faces of some people that I know are running from God. Maybe you're running from a call to ministry. But more likely than not, I am talking to people that God has called to do little things. Little things. Like be sexually pure. Little things. Like give back to God a portion of your income because he's been so gracious to you. Little things like stay married. Little things like be responsible for the children in your home. Little things like get involved in a small group. Little things like lead a small group. God's probably not asking a whole lot of people in here to move to Mosul and evangelize ISIS, though he may be. For most of us in here, God is calling you to do something most people won't even detect if you disobey. But God knows. And you've been living in Tarshish for years. That's a place you need to leave right here, right now this morning. And get on board the ship to take you back to the presence of God. And if you don't, you're going to end up in the third scene when God chases you down. Look at verse 4. What happens when God chases you down? But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Do you know that sin always invites a storm? Have you ever been in some storms? They were actually the result of your choices. Tell a story about that. Some of you are going through some storms right now, and you're even mad at God. And yet, the reason you're in that storm is because you've disobeyed God, and you're fleeing from God. And God loves you so much, He's trying to turn you around. Sin always invites a storm. Now listen, some of you are going through some storms that are the result of other people's sin. We're going to find that out. That's next week's message, right? Some of you are in some storms that are not the result of anything that you've done. Some of you are in some storms not because of your own sin. Some of you are in some storms that have nothing to do with sin. It's a trial. God's trying to strengthen you through that. Not every storm is the result of sin, but every Sin invites a storm because God loves you that much. And here's the thing we learn in Jonah. God is so committed to you. God is committed to sinking every ship that threatens to take you away from him. And so some of you have taken some ships and taken some vehicles or in some relationships and you're involving yourselves in things that you thought was going to satisfy you and now that thing is sinking and you're in worse trouble than you've ever been, and you're wondering if you're even going to survive, and it seems like your whole life is breaking up, it's not your life, it's your ship. And God's trying to sink that ship. He wants to cause just enough pain 
to get your attention and turn you around and get you back on track to where he called you to be. That's what we find in the book of Jonah. And so don't curse God in the storm. Understand that storm is not meant to hurt you. That storm is meant to help you. And until you repent, you're still going to be rocking and reeling on the waves. And you're going to feel like this boat is breaking apart. God is committed to sinking every ship that threatens to take you away from God. And notice this. There is no refuge from God. Only refuge in God. God has provided no other security in this world than himself. And God has provided no other means for you to be fulfilled, happy, and on mission with God than through his son. Here's the great thing about Jesus. Jesus endured the storm of God's wrath and God's fury to provide a way for you to be right with God. Jesus, on the cross, experienced the pain and the suffering of the sin of everyone else because God was chasing you down and wanted to invite you in back into relationship with him. So let me just ask you, what's your Tarshish? What's your ship? Are you running from God? How far have you run from God? Does it seem like I've run so far from God, I don't even know how to get back? God's inviting you back. The word of the Lord has come to you this morning in the same way it's come to Jonah. And God wants you back in relationship. God is chasing you down this morning. And he's holding out a life preserver in the midst of the storm. We're going to leave it right there. It's kind of a cliffhanger there in verse 4. It's like, what's going to happen to Jonah? Come back next week. We'll talk about that. But the question is this. What's going to happen to you if you don't turn around and come back to God? You ready to do that this morning? In just a minute, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. We're going to talk about running back into the arms of God. And as we sing that, I, I trust that that really is a turn in direction. Understand that if your feet have been heading away from God, that what God's calling you to do is to get back with your face headed back toward Him. I want to invite you to do that today. So why don't we just bow our heads for a moment? been living in Tarshish. How's that going for you? The first step back to God is the simple admission that I'm a fugitive. I haven't trusted God's plan. haven't God trusted God's character. I've come up with my own plan. I'm headed in the wrong direction. Would you be willing to admit that today? It could be some of you that have never even trusted Christ. You've thought about it. You kind of admire some Christians. It seems like they've got their lives together. My life always seems to be a storm. God's trying to hurt you just enough to turn your direction back to Him. Why don't you come back to Him this morning? Others of you, God may be calling you to do something that's going to require some courage. You think, the price is too high. I can't pay that. 
the price of not doing that is even higher. Lord, thank you for your presence here this morning. And we know that when we dismiss in a few minutes, we don't, we don't leave your presence. You come with us. Thank you for the grace that chases a fugitive like me. God, thank you for the calling, even though at times I want to run. I pray for my friends here today. Some of them have been living in Tarshish in the storm and the wind and the hurricane of their life testifies that they've been running in the opposite direction from you. God, call us back this morning. God, I pray that we would understand that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to endure a storm for us as our substitute. God, give us compassion for those maybe who are our enemies. Give us an obedient heart to say the hard things, to cross borders, to leave comfort zones, to do hard things, to take risks in order to see you work, to deliver the message of the gospel to people that need it most. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand together?